aren't you going to congratulate me? It's my 20th birthday. Hello, my name is Will, and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, a scaly, fire-breathing monstrosity of a podcast. Now, one of the endlessly fascinating aspects of film is the way in which different cinematic cultures absorb the influences from around the world and then reinterpret them. This form of international hybridization has thrown up some good films, some bad films, and a handful of bonkers fiascos that defy all reason. Guess which type we're looking at today. So on this show, we're casting our eye over one such example of cross-cultural collision, 2007's Dragon Wars, a film which attempts to combine ancient Korean folklore with modern Hollywood blockbuster special effects. And talking of things from different continents awkwardly bolted together, my guest once again is Nick Rehack from French Toast Sunday. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing great, Will. How are you? <laughs> I am doing very well. I'm doing very Good. well. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that I could uh, have you back to do the Dragon Wars film, because this is a really uh, special film to look at in the exploding uh, helicopter cannon because when i first watched it uh, a little while ago very recently i discovered that this is the movie with the most exploding helicopters and uh, the reason i'm glad that, that uh, to have you back for this is because obviously we reviewed battleship together which was the uh, the previous record holder with uh, with eight exploding helicopters so i felt i owed it to you to get you back to kind of share with you dragon wars and the the kind of the new title holder of uh, the greatest exploding helicopter movie of all time i appreciate it um i feel like you've included me on all of the historic ones where we see the first uh, <laughs> record of an exploding <laughs> helicopter and then you think of you know, Firebird, Wings of the Apache, when you have all these virtual reality explosions, and if you were to include that, how many, and that discussion. So I'm just, I'm just excited. I, I, this movie, I was just excited. <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, your, your excitement when I told you that you were going to be reviewing the film with the most exploding helicopters probably dissipated, uh, I don't think there's any spoilers to say, probably dissipated fairly rapidly once you started watching the film. Oh, five minutes in, I said, oh, I've, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> Let me just buckle up and, uh, and we'll get through this together. <laughs> and by together, I mean me and my cat. And at one point, even he got up and left. And I'm like, well, it's just me here. <laughs> Well, we better not uh, spoil our uh, main review discussion. So uh, why don't we get uh, into that? So uh, before we get into that, though, let's uh, let's hear a little of the uh, underwhelming uh, trailer for Dragon Wars. It began as a legend. Something unimaginable. Something unexplainable. This thing we know about. We can only conclude that it's foreign in nature. We're gonna get fired for this. We're talking about deploying armed forces in a major city. I need to know exactly what the hell we're up against. Something extraordinary. If it was big, you would say it was something that could swallow a bus. We'll turn our world 
to a battlefield. Dragon Wars came out in 2007. The story follows the adventures of Ethan Kendrick, and uh, you'll have to bear with me uh, as there's quite a lot of plot to get through here. So uh, we first meet him as a child, uh, where he learns that he's the reincarnation of an ancient bodyguard. Uh, throughout time, his ongoing mission is to protect the Yu Yu Joe, a special person with the power to create a celestial dragon. Uh, skip forward 15 years and the evil evil dragon lord Buraki wants to uh, harness the powers of the Yuijo for his own wicked ends. Buraki learns that uh, this uh, special woman called Sarah is uh, now living in Los Angeles. So Buraki then invades Los Angeles with his uh, army of monsters to capture Sarah. There's a big battle between the US military and the monsters during which Ethan enters the action to uh, help protect Sarah. The action then moves into a uh, interdimensional plane where there's a, a final showdown between uh, Buraki, Sarah and Ethan before we mercifully reach the end of this uh, mumbo jumbo. Uh, in the lead roles you have uh, Jason Bear, Amanda Brooks and uh, uh, Robert Forster. Uh, and if you're a fan of uh, tough guy character actors there's uh, there are small roles for Chris Mulkey and a always shirtless uh, Matthias Hughes. Uh, the film is not very well regarded, as you may have guessed already. Uh, it has a 3.5 rating on IMDb and an audience rating of just 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. However, this film was something of a big deal when it was released. Um, at the time, um, it held the distinction for uh, being the most expensive film in Korean history. Um, originally budgeted um, at $35 million, the cost of the special effects ballooned to the point where the final budget was just under 100 million dollars uh, time for me to stop talking though uh, nick what did you make of dragon wars it's the only movie that I, I of this type that i wish was longer sometimes you see a film <laughs> and it's a little painful to watch and you're like oh this is bad and then the special effects happen and you're like oh this is really bad but i wanted more Purely so I could understand the story a little bit more, to understand the lore, to under to really understand what was going on. I tried to take notes, but some things would just happen, and I'm like, I'm going to put the pen down because there's no sense in trying to make any sense of this. Like it's uh, sometimes it's just like, hey, they did that in this movie, we're going to do it in ours, and they just up and do it. Part of me wonders why there was even a plot. Part of me wonders. <laughs> Why it was structured, structured the way it was. I mean, the very beginning of the film opens, and they're investigating a, an explosion or some type of crater, and they find a, a scale. There's a reporter. He sees it, and then immediately we jump back 15 years, and then from there we jump back even further <laughs> for the history and the lore. And well, then I we flash forward all the way to the present, and I'm like, this should have been done altogether different. <laughs> well, like, I, what? Well, I well, I made a note of that sequence of events um, at the beginning of this film because you rightly pull up the, the beginning of this film and just how confusing it is. And I, I actually sort of noted this down because I just thought this is an insane way to structure a movie. So as you say, the film starts in present day. Then we flash back 15 years. Then from there, we then flash back to 15th century Korea. Then 
We then flash forward 20 years. We're still in 15th century Korea. So we, we sort of move forward 20 years in that period. Then we come forward again to present day minus 15 years before then finally coming back to uh, to modern day. And that's that's just the first 15 minutes of this movie. And and, and by the end of that, I mean, I, I, I felt like uh, I'd been in a sort of uh, heavy bombardment during sort of World War Two. I mean, I just felt completely shell shocked by being, you know, dragged through time, uh, you know, all, being dragged through all these different timelines. Yeah, and it's wild because it also feels like there's so many different films thrown together. When they see, you know, the crater, okay, that's like science fiction, maybe even a borderline superhero film where the, you know, they find like Thor's axe in the desert or something like that, right? Uh, Thor's hammer, excuse me. And then it cuts to, you know, a bit of a mystery, a bit of intrigue, a bit of fantasy because we have this boy going through Jack's antiques, which is filled with, you know, who knows what else in there. And then we cut back even further, and it feels more like a you know a period piece, especially when they're flying around like mm. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And I hate to generalize it like that, but ever since that film co has come out, most fighting sequences feel exactly like that when they're doing you know period films like that. People magically flying across the sky in order to complete these you know physics-defying uh, feats of martial arts. And then that pulls me out of it, too, because I'm like, OK, part of it's original, but then everything else is is kind of ripped off. I mean, what, at like 12, 13 minutes in, we have this massive battle scene for, assumedly, in my eyes, no reason. And <laughs> it's like it's like they took Lord of the Rings and the battle scene from Star Wars Episode One: A Phantom Menace, put it together. The technologies don't match up because you have these huge turtle-looking dinosaurs with cannons on their back shooting who knows what. <laughs> it's just there's so many things that don't make sense, and I want to know more about this world just so I can understand what I saw <laughs> because it's just – it's so much. And the film was an hour and a half, which really surprised me. Mm. I thought it would be a little bit longer. Well, but, Nick, you actually oh. are uh, – you're actually touching on – something that uh, was changed about this particular movie because it was actually originally a longer film so uh, from uh, stuff that I've read I think the original cut of this movie was about two hours ten minutes and they've chopped 40 minutes out of this movie and you suspect that that 40 minutes because of the incoherence of the law behind the story that they're telling you suspect that that 40 minutes is actually giving you that background giving you that grounding and understanding of this kind of mythology that underpins the the story of this film i wish those 40 minutes were in there because really when we meet these i, I genuinely <laughs> do because when we meet some of these characters it's just like hi i'm exposition and the other characters like i'm exposition there's nothing like i don't care about these characters there's nothing in the slightest that mm. makes me interested in them, that makes me care about them and they the the stuff they say i'm like you wouldn't say that to a normal person just have a conversation have some type of connection something i in the beginning when they're having the flashback to 15 15th century i felt more of a connection between um the the two characters there the bodyguard and the, the i can't remember the female name the female character sarah sarah well no before that on the 15th century one. Oh, okay you just roll with it, Nick. Yeah. Her. <laughs> well, 
her with, with those two. I felt like those two had a greater connection than anything else I saw in the film. So, I mean, mm. two star-crossed lovers, like, what's going on? And then we cut to present day, and I'm just like, can we get to what's really happening? And then it's just a mishmash. And But when it takes off, it takes off. I will say that. It gets going, and it gets wild quick. Yeah, I I, I think you're... You know, you, you definitely mentioned a couple of problems that I picked up on this film. And, you know, I, I think because of the fact that a big chunks of this film were lopped out, you know, characters aren't introduced to you properly, introduced to you properly. So you don't actually have any investment in them. You don't care about them. And I think the writing in this film is really bad. And, you know, the, these characters are in some pretty extraordinary situations and either through poor writing or either because scenes have been cut out, they don't seem to have what you would think of as natural, you know, human reactions to situations. So, you know, at the beginning of this film, you've got this this kid and Robert Forster tells him he's actually, you know, the reincarnation of this ancient bodyguard figure who's, you know, lived throughout time to protect this person. And this, you know, if someone if someone dumped that on you, you'd I mean, you'd, you'd have some kind of noticeable reaction, whereas this kid just sort of, you know, sort of takes it in his stride. And then 15 years later, he's just sort of, you know, working as a bog standard news reporter before suddenly he realizes, all right, this is my big moment. I now need to sort of step up and and save and save this girl. And it's just sort of, OK, you've, you've accepted that rather easily. I, I, I'm, I don't really know how to relate to you at this particular moment. It's just thrust upon, like you said, no visible reaction, nothing. It's just like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> and it's tough because it just catapults you and we're into it. And this guy, we're just supposed to believe he's a reporter. Like, how would that not impact his life? How would he not constantly think about it? He has no – outside of the necklace, he's got nothing else kind of linking him to it, no other thoughts or feelings. Mm. Whereas Sarah, when we meet her – uh, not the first time, but like uh, a later scene, like after we intro- were introduced to her, it's something else. She's got this book with all kind of manuscript in it, and then her friend shows up, and she's got pages all over the walls like a conspiracy theorist. But she never elaborates on that either, and you think it would be the other way around. You think she would kind of have a necklace, not really sure what's mm. going on, and he would be like the super obsessive like, wait, who is he? Who am I? I've and been you looking think that- for you my whole life exactly yes and it just feels like they got the two mixed up and it's just really really confusing because you i want more i genuinely (laughs) want more for this film it's it's right on that cusp it could have been a really solid b movie but they just get a couple things wrong well let's take a a look at the actors in this film and probably the the biggest name in this movie is uh, robert forster who uh, people will remember from uh, from jackie brown or from uh, things like the things like the delta force if you're uh, into chuck norris uh, action movies that also have exploding helicopters in and um uh, he, he and uh, i mean he's the biggest name here is he's certainly the only cast member in this film who's uh, got an oscar nomination and uh, He's got a very strange role in this film. He basically is uh, uh, Mr. Ex- Exposition, and uh, he he's involved in this uh, frankly horrendous um, scene that opens the opens the film, where uh, it, it feels you watch that scene, and basically it feels like you're being uh, waterboarded with uh, exposition. And um, we first meet him as this sort of weird floating guru, and uh, he then keeps cropping up throughout the film, and he's shape-shifting into different characters with 
absolutely no explanation um yeah what do you, what do you what did you make of of uh, robert forster's role in this film and uh the performance he gives in this frankly bonkers uh movie i i liked seeing him whenever he was on screen he's just got one of those appearances where i'm like oh he's here and i just i feel like i'm in good hands I feel like you say um, don't you I, I do i do a little <laughs> bit and he handles his material well like in the beginning yeah the story is a little all over the place but the way he delivers it i can kind of follow it and it can kind of make sense right i kind of have a vibe of like okay i know somewhat of what i'm getting into he, he's a familiar enough voice that i can understand what's going on but outside of that i'm like i i kind of want him to be in the movie more but then what more could he contribute other than exposition i feel like they don't really give him more or enough really to uh you know flex that muscle that i know he has like i i recently rewatched jackie brown and i really enjoyed it uh he was solid in twin peaks the return it's a real bummer that he passed away earlier this year like i it was just it was just nice to see him and go like you know what i gotta revisit this guy's filmography because he shouldn't be in a movie like this he deserves better well, a big part of this film are the uh, are the special effects, and um, you know those were the reason that uh, this became uh, the most expensive film in in Korean history, or certainly uh, it was at the time. I mean, what what do you think of uh, what we got on screen here? I think if you watch it in standard definition on a tube TV or a really 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 old LCD TV, I think you're fine. For the time, could it have been a lot stronger? Absolutely. But it's not terrible. It's definitely not what we have today. Definitely not what we have today. <laughs> but, but for the time, it's it works. Um, there's a couple scenes where they obviously got very lazy. Mm. Um, and a couple scenes where they just completely forgot to put it in there. Uh, there's a scene during the exploding helicopters, and we'll, and we'll get to it, of course, but there's a scene where the tanks and the army are shooting, but they're shooting at nothing because they forgot to add the <laughs> monsters in there. Um, it's not – I want to make it better than what it is, but I'm sure it's just absolutely terrible. Like if you go back and see it, like just just awful. And I think what doesn't help it is it's so much. There's not a lot of practical effects, especially when it comes to the helicopters. There's a mm. lot, a lot of CGI there. What baffles me even more, I was looking at it. Uh, apparently it won a Grand Bell Award for Best Visual Effects, and those awards are equivalent to the American Oscars. And I'm like – that's a big leap to say that it had the best effects. I think the special effects in this film, they're not a problem. I mean, they're they're actually pretty good. And and frankly, the special effects are just not the problem in this movie. I think this this problem's got way other other problems. It's got very bland, central actors. Uh, as we've already mentioned, the writing is is absolutely horrendous. The way the film is structured and the way it tries and the way in which it tries to tell the story, those are, are much more. Uh, those are much more real problems that this film has than the than the, the special effects. And you know, I I think that one thing that is noticeable though is actually how well the special effects are integrated with the with the with the real actors because there are some scenes in here where you see people responding to the monsters and obviously they the actors are just having to imagine what's happening in front of them because the CGI is going to be put in later and. 
either because of the direction or either because of the actors that were hired to do those scenes. You it, like the, the the way in which they're put together, the, the humans don't seem to be responding in a realistic or natural way to the events that are happening in, in front of them. So I actually think it's the it's less the special effects and actually more sort of the way in which they're integrated with the human actors in some key scenes that is that is that is the bigger problem that uh, this film has in terms of uh, its FX. I would agree with that. Um, a lot of characters, especially when the dragons take the city and people are running away, mm. they run away as if they were Shelley Duvall in The Shining, very <laughs> cartoonish and exaggerated. If it's me, I'm booking it. I'm going as fast as I can. I'm screaming. But like you said, I think there's just not enough depth there. There's not enough in, not intensity, uh, urgency. There's not enough mm. urgency to go, my life is on the line. I need to get out of here. And I think if we saw that, uh, we it'd be a little more believable. Okay. I think we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be looking at some record-breaking, exploding helicopter action. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love, movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And, oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutia shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. I wonder shut who up. the cat we're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. This occurs about halfway through the film, uh, during the big assault on Los Angeles. Um, a squadron of Apache attack helicopters are scrambled to uh, fight the flying, fire-breathing dragon threat. Uh, we're then treated to an extended series of aerial dogfights between the rotor-bladed aircraft and the uh, and their scaly-winged adversaries. Uh, Nick, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action it was a lot it was a whole lot it was uh, an assault on the senses it was so much happening at once and it was fun like it was really fun to look at it from an excitement and an adventure standpoint it was awesome from a realistic standpoint i'm like there's no way you can make that kind of turn how do you have all this unlimited ammo so it's a combination of believable and unbelievable that just makes it exciting for me yeah, and we get uh, nine uh, exploding helicopters uh, in this particular sequence when uh, these uh, uh, Apache uh, attack helicopters go up against the uh, the dragons, and we get to see them uh, dispatched in a, in, a, in a whole variety of ways. So some of them get munched by the uh, the dragons, some of them get uh, kind of wrestled or thrown to the ground, uh, some of them get uh, blown up by the dragons. Uh, you know, sending um, breathing fireballs into uh, into the into the helicopters. Uh, some of them then are you know because of all of the aerial chaos that are going on. Uh, you know, one of them you know crashes into a building after which it it, it explodes. So you know, did you did you uh, did you think that uh, the film fully exploited the uh, the possibilities of uh, helicopters versus dragons? 
I do to about 90 percent. I think we are missing – I think we're missing two that could have been really, really well done. We're missing one where a dragon is leading a helicopter and another one goes to cut it off and the dragon maybe pulls up and two helicopters uh, hit each other and explode. I think that would have – I think that would have been a great one to see. Um, And then we don't really see a lot of interaction with the ground forces. I think the turtle-looking dinosaurs that had the huge cannons on their back, (laughs) launching one off at them and taking it out, I think that would have been another great one to see. But they cover a lot of bases here. They're literally, like you said, just grabbed and slammed. Some of them are like pile drive down, a collision with the building, you know, fire explosions. Like it's – they're all over the place, and it's a wonderful array, but I was – Really, really hoping that there'd be like a collision one in there somewhere because it's bound to happen. There's so many dragons. There's so many helicopters yeah. out there. Like it's got to happen. I mean, it's absolute. Uh, it's absolute chaos. And uh, there was one. There was one that uh, I particularly enjoyed where the helicopters are, are flying in between the skyscrapers uh, of Los Angeles and uh, one of the helicopters. It, it's they sort of fly between some buildings and it looks like they've they've lost the uh, the dragons and so this uh, this helicopter just pauses in midair and then the pilot slowly looks up and realizes that uh, all the dragons are, are clinging to the side of a skyscraper i thought that was a that was a sort of nice effective moment of tension before uh, the that that pilot then uh, re, you know realizes the 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 magnitude of the of the trouble they're in it really is and it's a it's a double o moment because just before that <laughs> when they actually come rolling in and show up the one shoots a fireball like missile out of its mouth and that's another one where it's like oh oh these guys aren't playing around like this is going to get serious it's not just like a game of cat and mouse where they got to run away from each other these things can fight back in a big bad way so it's interesting i feel like there's so much more stakes involved in this in this fight which lasts for like you know seven or eight minutes than there is in the entire film mm. and uh, the other thing that is worth mentioning if uh, people listening to this decide to go and watch dragon wars and uh, check out all of the exploding helicopter action is that uh, you need to watch this uh, film very carefully because uh, this extended uh, battle scene that takes place in in Los Angeles on the ground and in the skies above the city. Uh, you need to have you need to be very eagle eyed because uh, some of the exploding helicopters are very obvious. They're they're you know they they fill the screen with the uh, with the fireballs, but there is so much um, sort of aerial activity going on that uh, you you sort of need to in some to spot all of the exploding helicopters. You actually need to sort of focus. Uh, in some parts on some of the stuff that is going on in in the background in the very far distance it's uh, and there's a there are two exploding helicopters here which are just sort of happen off in the distance uh, against the skyline of los angeles so uh, i you know when we uh, when we uh, started uh, you know uh, looking at this film nick we we had to have some uh, extended discussions over over email to uh, to really bottom out exactly how many uh, exploding helicopters there were in this movie we did, and I'll tell you what, it was one of my favorite email exchanges ever <laughs> because I remember watching this scene over and over and over, freeze-framing and slow motion, just everything I could do to make sure I got every single one. Like I, I, I am meticulous, but I have never been that <laughs> meticulous in all of my life. And when we hit that number of nine, I was, I was a little disappointed we couldn't hit ten, but you know, a street sign <laughs> – 
and it smacks it down. We don't see the explosion, so we can't call anything. But the variety that we get and the number that we get, it's just impressive. And I don't know if the director had this in mind when he sought it out and he was looking for a lot or if we just got really lucky. But it's just – it's great. It's so it's so great. But it is it is really important for those eagle-eyed ones to like really look in there and catch because if not, you blink and you miss it really. But, I mean, I know you're disappointed that we didn't get to 10 with this movie, but, you know, it, do, it does lay out the tantalizing possibility of, you know, that that's a challenge that uh, can be thrown down to a filmmaker. You know, who's going to be the first to go double digit exploding helicopters in their movie? Hear me out. <laughs> it's not Michael Bay. <laughs> it's Wes Anderson. He's going to do double digit exploding helicopters. He's going to do it. He's currently working on a World War II musical. <laughs> now, I, I don't know my history that well, but I feel like there were some helicopters in World War II. And we might get a big musical number where there's a lot of explosions going on, and it would be pretty wonderful to see that. Mm. Well, Wes Anderson is one of the uh, the few, I guess you would call them, art house directors to uh, to have exploded uh, a helicopter in his movie because uh, you know he does blow one up in uh, the Life Aquatic with uh, Steve Zissou. So he knows how to do it. He knows how to do it. You know, which is more than you can say for Martin Scorsese. We're still, you know, people people say he's a he's a filmmaking great. Well, he's yet to explode a helicopter. In one of his films. So, you know, at the moment, I'm not sure I can really rate him. If you had to, though, in any of his films, what film would you have put an exploding helicopter in? The Silence. It would have it would have perked it up no end. Ooh, that would have been good. I was thinking either Shutter Island, like some way, you know, somebody (laughs) tries to escape and one goes down or and hear me out. Passion of the Christ. Not Passion of the Christ. (laughs) I messed that up. God damn it, I messed it up. The Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> I'm so disappointed in myself, man. But God I, damn it. I, I would, uh, I think there should be an exploding helicopter in any biography, real or imagined, of uh, Christ's life. But uh, mm. I'm a man of, of no faith, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have such, uh, <laughs> such anachronisms introduced into uh, into the story of jesus but uh, i uh, i think we better uh, wrap things up uh, right here and now nick so uh, thanks uh, for joining me uh, once again uh, in the uh, unlikely event that uh, any of our listeners are interested in hearing more of you on a podcast do you want to t- <laughs> <laughs> do you want to tell people about where they can find you online <laughs> absolutely uh i am a member in good standing of the french toast sunday you can find us frenchtoastsunday.com on the french toast sunday podcast we've been pumping out episodes just about every two uh every other week uh we throw an episode down Uh, we just finished up we took a little bit of break from film and we looked at our favorite uh tv shows of 2019 that was a really good chat that everybody had that episode should be up end of the year beginning of january uh then when we hit january obviously we'll have our top films of 2019 but next year is going to be a really big year for us uh it's our 10-year anniversary at fts uh and we're also going to be looking back on a lot of decades so you're going to see a lot of lists of 
you know, what's happened the past decade. It's going to be a very big reflective year, and I'm excited to see what all we do. Cool. Well, I will uh, look out for that uh, with a lot of excitement. So, uh, uh, as always, don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website. Uh, we just had a bit of a major overhaul of, of some of our content there and uh, updated uh, some of the information about the actors and the directors who've been involved with the uh, most films with uh, Exploding Helicopters. Uh, so why don't you go and check that out? As always... We will be back soon, but until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.